Welcome to the Power of Synergy on BBS Radio. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona. What is synergy? It's what people create when they come together with other people. Humans are powerful beings when they're alone, but the things that we can do when we come together are even more powerful. Our capacity as souls is infinite for the simple reason that we have a body and a mind and a heart and a spirit. When those four things come together to create a soul, they can work together with the same focus and intention, and they're dynamic. But the literal definition of synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more substances or entities to produce a combined effort greater than the sum of their separate effects. But what does that mean in a practical sense? Well, it It's a popular expression that the total is worth more than the sum of its parts, but that's especially true about people. Humans become exponentially more powerful when they are united with each other in thought and intention and volition, because everything that they're thinking and feeling at all times will affect the other people around them and their mutual energy intensifies. So my show is about becoming more personally powerful and mindfully proactive, both when you're alone and when you're with others. Now, the show today is going to be about personality, not only the profiling of different types, but functionality in a very primal way on a very basic level. Most people don't ever think about things beyond the four letters of their Myers-Briggs personality profile because, yeah, that's, that's a pretty specific definition and explanation of who you are. And it's almost scary how accurate it is because the questions that you're asked to determine your, your disposition and then your profile, they're general questions. They don't seem to be very personally oriented. But when you get the results of the test, And you can see your profile. Wow, the things that are explained and described, those are pretty accurate. And they're very helpful because when you understand yourself and that the things that you do that might have before been seen or described by other people as a character flaw might actually be the best qualities that you have. Now, it's very important to understand that Your functional order is the real description of who you are because everybody does everything. Everybody has to learn how to do everything, especially the things that are not their nature, because the world will demand that those things be done. You have to do these things if you're going to succeed in life. If you're going to make it from day to day, you have to do things that aren't your nature. Okay, but determining your functional order is key because it really is a foundation for being healthy. If something in life, in your life, is becoming very challenging or overwhelming to you, you need to know what the problem is. That's the only way you'll really be able to determine the solution and make sure it's about who you truly are at your core, your true nature. What you do is not who you are. That's just your behavior. That's what we're going to cover first. And second, your nature is never going to change. No matter what nurture your experiences in life do for you, to you, 
to modify your behavior, your personality will never change. When humans are doing whatever they're doing, number three, they need to remember how nature works. It has a mind of its own. And you do need to cooperate with nature because you are born with a personality. And finally, whatever you consider the source in the form of a higher power in your life to be, it is set up a certain way for a certain reason, and it's going to stay that way. So yes, there is a certain amount of surrender that you need to embrace. Now, in my last show in the, the week, I was talking about how surrender actually isn't a good thing when it comes to people because cooperation doesn't necessarily mean letting go of power. But when we're talking about nature and the dynamics of personality, you really do need to completely let go and cooperate with whatever that energy is. So we have a lot of, of information out in the world about how to determine your personality profile, the four dichotomies, whether you're an E or an I, an S or an N, a T or an F, a P or a J. And if you don't know specifically what your personality is yet, it's very important for you to determine that, to know that before you listen to the very specific breakdown of the energy and the dynamics of your activities that we're going to be doing today that we're going to be covering. So if you want to go ahead and listen to the concepts and the principles of functionality before you know your personality profile, that's okay. Just make sure you take the notes about those different concepts and then get your very accurate personality profile. So first we're going to talk about the four levels of activity. Everybody has to do everything. Life is not about what you exclusively do. Again, you have to learn how to do everything. But the four levels are called dominant, auxiliary, tertiary, and inferior. And I liken them to different life activities. Your dominant function is like breathing. Your auxiliary function is like eating. Your tertiary function is like walking. And your inferior function is like running. All four of those things, all four of those activities are very important activities for you to perform in your daily life if you're going to be healthy and happy and successful. The key is doing them in the right amounts and in the right ways at the right times so that when you know you're doing an activity that might be extremely challenging for you, like running. It is still a healthy activity. You just need to do it in a certain amount, in a certain way, at a certain time, in order for it to not do unnecessary damage to you while you're doing it. So when we're talking about how much you should be doing these different activities, Let's talk about your dominant function. Breathing. It's very important. It's actually something that needs to be done all the time. It's so natural and it's so healthy for you. It is, in fact, vital for you to do it. You would die if you stopped doing it for an extended period of time. That is very important for you to understand. Your dominant function is just as important for you 
when it comes to your daily life activities. Now, again, think about what I said. Nature has distributed different skills and talents and abilities in the form of personality to different people, and it's done it in a very healthy and balanced way. Different talents and gifts are given to different people in different ways because certain things in life just need to get done. Then there are other things, the other three levels, the auxiliary, the tertiary, and in the inferior functions, those things don't need to be done nearly as much. They're complementary to your dominant function. So I always tell people you need to spend 60% of your daily activity time doing your dominant function. It needs to be constant, consistent, and distributed like breath throughout your life. So if you are a healthy person and you get a good eight quality hours of sleep per night, that gives you 16 hours of waking time to spend doing all four levels of activity. 60% of 16 hours is nine to 10 hours a day. Yeah, you need to spend a lot of time doing your dominant function. What does that mean? Well, we'll go into that in more specific detail a little bit later in the show, because again, it's very important to know not only what the activity is, but the social orientation of it. 60%, nine to 10 hours per day of your time needs to be performing your dominant function. Okay, well, the auxiliary function is like eating. It's very important to be done. It has to be done in order for you to continue to be healthy in your life. But you don't need to do it all the time. I tell people 20%, only about a third, as often as you're breathing, your dominant function, must you do auxiliary level activities. So 20% means three to four hours per day. Thinking about that, like eating, yeah, three to four hours a day. If you were to eat three meals a day, you could spend some good time doing some good quality eating, but it needs to be in a relaxed way, in a very pleasant context setting, right? And you need to have the good experience during that time. So as you're doing your auxiliary function for 20% of your day, three to four hours per day, you have that good energy. While you're performing that activity, your performance is going to be very, very impressive and good, not only for yourself, but the people around you. Okay, well, level three, that's the tertiary function. It's like walking. And I tell people 15% of your day actually is a very good amount of time to spend walking. That's two to three hours per day. That doesn't necessarily seem like a lot of activity, a lot of time. Well, yeah, if you were walking and you walk about two to three miles per hour, four to six miles a day walking, you would be very healthy. So it's okay to do things that aren't necessarily your higher level activities. And if you were to think about doing six miles of walking per day, You could be doing that in 15-minute increments. You could be doing it half hour at a time. How well do you perform that activity? Well, the more you do it, the better you're going to get. 
But again, it's a lower level function. So you really shouldn't do it more than a certain amount of time because it can actually start to impede your ability to do other things. It can start to wear you down. That brings us to the lowest level of activity. That's your inferior function, something you're going to have to do in life. You may even have to do it a lot, but I liken it to running. You really shouldn't spend more than 5% of your time in your day performing your inferior function. If you liken it to running, 5% of 16 hours of waking time is one to two hours per day. Yeah, if you were to run for one hour a day, that's good. That's healthy. You're going to be good if you run for just an hour a day. You really shouldn't be doing it more than that because it does start to wear away your strength and your muscle. Even thinking about marathon runners, their entire life has to revolve around that activity and they don't look very healthy because everything that they're doing is completely revolving around that lifestyle. You cannot be doing your inferior function for more than two hours a day. You really should only average about one hour a day. Even when you're really good at it, it still does undermine your ability to do other things because it's totally contrary to your nature. It's something the world's going to demand that you do. Just don't do it too much. Okay, so thinking about that, there are going to be things in life that you're going to have to do. The reason you need to limit the amount of time, again, it's not that they're bad activities. Let's think about them as individual activities without looking at them on a level, level, just know that a healthy state demands balance when you're doing things in life. Let's define the different activities. Now, again, thinking just about the the time that I described, 16 hours a day, 9 to 10 hours, 3 to 4 tubes. Okay. Transition is also the key to time management. Keep in mind, don't rush life. These time allotments include things like eating and resting, You know, getting to the places you're going in life. You are going to be doing something even when you're not doing anything. When you think about the activities of your daily routine in your current personal lifestyle, how much of what you're doing in your life is just getting from one place to another or transitioning from one activity to another, even when you're not necessarily doing any of these personality functionality activities, you are still engaged on one level or another in some way. So as we describe the different activities that you could be doing, keep in mind what you currently do in your daily routine. Okay, so now we're talking about the four letters that are involved in your functional order. They're actually the two dichotomies, the middle dichotomies of the personality profile system. The the second letter of your personality is either N or S. And the third letter of your personality is either T or F. You will always have to do S and N activities, T and F activities. So when we're talking about S, N, T, and F, which one do you do 
the most and the best. Which one do you do? Yeah, that's pretty good. Which one is, well, okay, I can. And which one is, please don't make me do that. Please, I can, but I really would rather not. Well, you can go ahead and determine your personality by looking at the different questions. But when we have to do all of those different things, the way to determine your functional order is look at the last letter of your personality. If it's a P, you are going to do your second letter in an extroverted way. If the last letter of your personality is a J, then the third letter of your personality will be extroverted. Okay, well, if one is extroverted, the other one is going to be introverted. And that's going to then determine which one you do first, because if you're an extrovert, you will prefer to do the extrovertedly inclined activity. If you're an introvert, you're going to prefer your introvertedly inclined activity. Okay, so let's just talk about sensing and intuition and thinking and feeling in an introverted and an extroverted way. First of all, Sensing is about focusing on your external environment, the physical world around you. Do you like to be focused on and engaged in the things that are going on around you? Then you're probably a sensor. If you would prefer to do things focused on what's happening inside of you, you're an intuitive. So if you're sensing in an extroverted way, that means you like to do things that are physically stimulating, that are immediately gratifying, that are tangible in your life in an extroverted way. That means you like to do things with other people. If you like to do those things in an introverted way, you would just rather do them alone. Well, that's important to know that there are going to be some very physically demanding activities that require social interaction then there are going to be very physically demanding and stimulating activities that you can do alone. The intuition is understanding concepts, processing ideas, and understanding and analyzing feelings. You can be very, very thoughtful as an intuitive person. You can still do that even though it's an internal activity in an extroverted way, because as you share those thoughts and feelings with other people, you're getting them engaged in that internal process with you. As that augments in a group setting, that's your extroverted intuition. Introverted intuition is getting lost in your own mind, in your own thoughts, your own feelings, and really enjoying that world alone with yourself. There are going to be things in life that demand time and thought and understanding and insight. When you have that intuition, you're going to be able to either do that internally as an introvert or externally as an extrovert. Again, that's a very important thing to remember. Which one do you prefer based on that formula of your functional order? Okay, now this is the really important thing to remember. Thinking is in and of itself a lot like intuition. The difference is thinking is about making that decision. Intuitives do a lot of thinking as an activity, as a brain activity, but thinking is about the decision making. So extroverted thinking would be 
coming to conclusions and making decisions extrovertedly, which means socially oriented. You have people around you. You like to brainstorm ideas and you like to come to conclusions and make decisions where intuition is an activity of processing things and continuing to understand them. You don't necessarily do anything with those thoughts or those concepts when you're thinking, when you're on that level and engaged in that activity, you're putting all of those things that you've processed to good use practical and immediate use implementation of those different thoughts that you had on an intuitive level doing things with that information now the opposite of that the feeling is basing your decisions on other people the needs of other people so thinking as it could be socially interactive if it's extrovertedly inclined Thinking can also be very introvertedly inclined. You could have all of those conversations with other people all by yourself if you're an introverted thinker. And you can have very brilliant epiphanies all by yourself in your own mind if your thinking is introvertedly inclined. When you're talking about feeling decisions, when you're making those kinds of conclusions and choices in your life about what to do. If you're feeling in an introverted way, that means you're making those decisions on your own and not necessarily engaging with other people as you make those decisions. That may seem a little counterintuitive since feeling is by definition caring about other people. Well, you would think then that feeling would just by definition be an extroverted activity. That's not true. Feeling in an extroverted way means you want to engage with other people when making the choice. Sometimes engaging with them, participating with them in the execution of that choice, but it really is more about do you like to make it a collaborative process or a solitary one? So now everybody again is going to have to do sensing, intuiting, thinking and feeling. It's absolutely vital that you know the order that you do those activities in and the social orientation that you have with those different activities. Now, it's very important because remember, every good activity can become bad when it is unhealthy. Every good activity, every healthy quality, every healthful personality trait can become unhealthy when it is out of balance or when it is from an unhealthy source. That means an emotional or mental problem can compromise your performance of any part of your personality. And you would never want that. You do need to remember that if you are in a less than ideal state, everything that you do will manifest, will be displayed will be carried out in an unhealthy way. And you definitely don't want to do that. Nobody would want you to do that. I use the example, put the mask on yourself first. Take good care of yourself when you tell other people, I need to be in a better quality state right now. I really do need to take care of whatever's going on inside of me. You don't necessarily have to tell them what that is. But when you say to them, I really do have something important that I need to take care of. And when I'm done, 
I promise you, I will be in a much better quality state mentally and emotionally and physically. What I will be giving to you, what I will be sharing with you will be so much better for you and for me because the quality of my spirit when I'm giving to you will be that much better. You might be very surprised at how many people say, well, thank you for telling me that. Do whatever you need to do. I'm with you 100% on this. And anything that you need from me, let me know. I have no problem giving that to you, sharing that with you, because you're worth it. And I appreciate your honesty and your willingness to be vulnerable enough to say, I have a need and you can help me with that need. Staying centered really is about getting everything balanced internally. Yeah, having things in your life, your external things in life balanced, that's really good. Everybody wants to have that because that's what allows the energy to flow naturally, to continue to be positive, not only between the people, but the things that they're doing with each other or even just around each other. They don't even have to be directly interacting with each other to have that interchange of energy, that exchange of thoughts and feelings. We're very sensitive to each other. So when you have that balance in your mind and your heart and your body, everything is going to be of a high quality. And unfortunately, sometimes we just have this mindset of, well, I know if a little bit of something is good, then more would obviously be better. That's not true. The moderation and balance principles are indelibly intertwined and that's going to be the foundation for your ability to do all the good high quality things. When you have a little bit of good, you don't need more and more and more because you have the variety of experience and interchange with people in your life. So sometimes we have different problems in life. Sometimes we're just not happy. Sometimes we're not doing things in a very high quality way. Sometimes we're actually harming ourselves or other people. What are the different reasons that that could be? Well, you know what? Sometimes the activity itself is just a lower level activity. There are going to be things in life that even though they're good activities, they're a lower level function. They're like, walking 10 miles. It could be like running 25 miles an hour. They're just not going to be naturally something you are good at. They're not going to be things that you enjoy. Okay. That's okay. You have to know, you have to be able to look at an activity and say, okay, yeah, no, this is a tough thing for me. And, uh, I don't like doing it. And, um, I'm really bad. Even when I practiced it, I had to be taught and I practice and I'm still really bad at it. And you can say, okay, then I'm going to need to have different elements in my life in order to sustain that activity, my performance and execution of that activity. You might need motivation, a reason, a genuine reason in the context of your true nature to justify doing that activity. Take the time to really give yourself 
a genuine motivation to do an activity if it's your lower function. Sometimes you need compensation. You know what? The bottom line is it's not worth it for you to do it without a reward. There has to be some kind of payoff in the end in order for you to be able to say, yeah, that was a really good idea for me to do that. I got something out of it. That's okay. Life rewards us in a lot of different ways for that reason. And then there's just going to be times when you need restoration when you're done. You have to say, I got to get myself back up to 100%. I need the rest. I need the relaxation. I need to get myself back up to 100%. Because you know what? Running that five miles, that was exhausting. It sucked the life out of me. And you can say to people, this is just a, a really hard thing for me to do. And I'm really bad at it because I'm really good at the opposite thing. Yes, I'm very, very good at sensing. Intuiting is really tough. It's running uphill barefoot in the snow. I need to recuperate. I need to restore myself. And people would say, okay, well, you know what? I didn't know it was that hard for you. Yeah, you did a good job. Or I could see that you were struggling with it. Or, wow, yeah, you were really bad at that. That's it really that hard for you. Yeah, it really is. Can I take a nap? <laughs> or can I just sit and listen to some good music? Whatever activity would restore you back up to that higher level of performance. Okay. Well, you know what? Sometimes you'll have a problem doing something because your personal state, separate from your personality, your immediate condition, physical, mental, or emotional condition might just be of a lower quality. You know what? <clears throat> you might new yeah, you might need some good professional help. You might need advice. You might need to take better care of yourself. You need to find out why you are in that lower state that once your state of heart, of mind, of body improves, so will your performance. It's got nothing to do with the activity whatsoever. You need to have that self-awareness and that understanding that you can say, wow, I'm doing a really horrible job here. And this is one of my higher functional activities. What's the problem? Wow. You know what the problem is? I haven't slept well for four days. I just need to stop this activity, get myself back up to a higher quality state. My soul, that's my heart and my mind and my body and my spirit, all of them working together. One of those things might be struggling to intertwine with the other three things. I'm going to go ahead and take care of that part of myself. Well, it could be an issue. That's not a, just about the immediate care that you give yourself. It could be an issue that you do need to spend an extended period of time addressing and resolving with the help of an expert professional who knows very, very well all of the different facets and factors of that activity, of that issue, of that particular struggle that you're having. Yeah, you might need to go to someone or something who can help you with the performance of your activities by dealing with the source of your struggle. Once you resolve that, your performance will immediately improve because it's not the activity that's the problem. It's what's going on inside of you behind the scenes. Well, okay, you know what? Sometimes it's just because you're not doing things in the right proportions. 
you might have to say, okay, I'm actually doing a pretty good job with this activity. I'm just doing it too much. And that's compromising my emotional energy. It's, it's really affecting my mental focus, my ability to think straight or you know what, I'm just really having stress right now. And I'm having to take medication because I don't really want to do this. And yeah, you know what, it does, it does matter. When you're thinking about what activities you're doing, you have to know how to delegate your time. Now think about this. I use the example of people who want to own their own business. And they, they've come to me as a coach, as a life coach. Before I became a relationship coach, I was just a life coach. And people came to me and they said, I really want to know what I can do to make money. I want to open my own business, but I don't know if I can do it. There are so many different questions and so many challenges. Should I do this particular activity for myself as an independent contractor? Okay, look. What you need to do when you're thinking about an activity, doing something with the daily time increments, like I was describing, the 60%, 20%, 15%, 5%, thinking about what you would want to do as an activity in your daily life. Yeah, if you were doing something that was your dominant function for a career, that would be so healthful for you. But Thinking about what's involved in being an independent contractor, a business owner, in a practical sense, in just the most fundamental terms, there are different things involved in having a business. Okay, there's executive activities required, there's administrative activities required, then there's the actual labor required. And I always tell people, you may be a great chef. That doesn't mean you need to open a restaurant. Okay. Because in opening a restaurant, you have executive decisions you have to make. You have administrative activities that you need to do. Yeah. Cooking. That's part of owning a restaurant. It's a very small part of it. So the most important thing to remember is when you're distributing your time, how much of the different kinds of activities should you do and how many of them should you delegate to other people that happen to have that dominant function, right, to perform that particular activity. For example, when I say the executive kinds of um, tasks, SJs and NTs are really, really good at executive things because that's about making a decision. It's about making a smart decision and it's about executing, again, carrying out. That's the enforcement of the decisions that have to be made when you're running a company. Okay, well, you know what? How about the managerial um, requirements? Yeah, you have to know how to interact with people. You have to know how to build and establish relationships. Well, you know what? There's a lot of practical tasks that just need to be done and you have to pay attention to the minutia of, well, you know what? Sometimes you don't want to think about it or you lose track of it. <clears throat> you lose an understanding of it because you're focused on, the, you know, who's great at being managers, NFs and SPs, because they're excellent at working with other people and they're great at doing the legwork, the minutia of the things that are just annoying tasks. Naturally, those things are very, very easy for people like 
sensory perceivers and intuitive feelers, if those activities are their dominant functions, yeah, you can definitely say, I'm going to delegate that level of activity to someone else so that I can do perhaps the next one, so the administrative. Okay, well, you know what? Administration, that's a lot of intuiting activities because a lot of it is about the um, paperwork. It's about the um, the tasks of the to-do list of the day but it's a lot of it conceptual. It's not the physical labor. It's a lot of mental activities and doing things that really are just about nothing interesting, very mundane, mundane in a different way than the executive activities because they're very unimpressive because there are a lot of conceptual and you have to remember things and think about things, organize things. Yeah, but none of them are in the external world. A lot of it is on paper or in the computer or on the phone. That's all kinds of internal intuitives. They're very, very good at the internal activities and they don't get bored with those kinds of things. They're very stimulated by having to think about things for hours at a time and then do them for five or 10 minutes. Then there's just the labor. Then you got the actual activity. Well, you know what? Again, the sensors, they're great at labor activities because they like to see the tangible results of the effort that they have invested. There are a lot of things that they're going to have to do. They, it might be very hard work. These tasks might be very challenging. Sensors love the challenging tasks because not only does it provide the challenge and the stimulation but it also provides, it yields the tangible results. Oftentimes it's um, visual. Sometimes it's tactile. Sometimes it's audio. Or you know what? Just the, the olfactory, having that fruitage of their labors that they can consume in some way, the smelling and the tasting of something, that's very gratifying for sensors not so much for intuitives. It's important of those four kinds of activities to know what do you love to do? Uh, what are you okay with? What do you absolutely hate? Make sure you keep the proportions of time in those percentages, 60, 20, 15, 5%. Identify which activities qualify as executive, what's managerial, what's administrative, what's labor, when you have those specific details and you know your true nature well enough, you can say, okay, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and just spend most of my time as I'm doing what I love, aware of the things that I don't love to do. And then I can make sure that when I'm done at the end of the day, I've made enough money, yeah, to feel rewarded but most importantly, I'm not exhausted and I'm not frustrated and I'm not resentful when I'm done with my work. It's not a job. It's not something that's so overwhelming for me that I'm going to walk away from it simply because I can't do it for more than an extended period of time, a brief period of time. I'm burnt out. If you're doing your dominant function, you will not be burned out. And when you're making enough money, you don't have to be a billionaire to feel rewarded. 
what is the reward for you is doing your dominant function. That's not really work in the first place. Okay, so then we're thinking about daily life activities in the proportions of 60, 20, 15, and 5%. Okay, so in life, there are going to be things completely separate from secular. You have domestic responsibilities. You have physical responsibilities. You have those secular responsibilities. And you know what? Yourself, you have spirituality and health Those are both the physical activities in your life, separate from the domestic and the secular demands that life places on you. You have to have some kind of income. You are going to be at home. There are going to be activities that having your own home and and potentially a family, those things are going to take time. So again, if you're talking about 16 hours a day, waking time, how many hours a day really should you be working? on your job? How many hours a day should you be spending at home, not only taking care of yourself, but the people who live with you? There are different activities, the exact same activities that are required that are to be performed in a business setting, in a job setting, in your home, your personal life, your domestic life. Well, thinking about the sensing and thinking and feeling and intuiting, all of those different things are going to be necessary. They're going to be performed in your life at home. Yes, there are going to be those things in a secular way. How about your personal life when you're not necessarily taking care of anyone or anything else? Do you know which activities you like to do the most and which ones are you able to do the most? Well, there are going to be things that just because they're of your lower function, you're not going to want to do them. So how, how do you make sure if it's something that is hard for you to do because it's a lower function, you're still going to be able to perform them in the amounts, the increments that they're demanding, right? Or in the the performance levels that are necessary. Well, I tell people there's actually a secret. What you have to do is do your lower functional activities in a higher functional way. Okay, so now thinking about this, keeping in mind that you are going to do some things internally, right, in an introverted way, and some things externally in an extroverted way, Let's just go ahead and and use a personality profile as an example so I can explain the concept and you'll be able to stick kind of with everything that I'm using as an example, everything that I'm saying. I like to use an ESFJ. Okay, so determining the, the profile of the ESFJ, how do we really know the functional order? Again, the last letter is going to tell us which one of the two middle letters has an extroverted orientation. So since it's a J, that means the third letter will be extrovertedly inclined. The feeler, the feeling is extrovertedly inclined. So then the S, the sensing is introverted. Well, as an extrovert, they're going to want to do their extrovertedly inclined activity of feeling more than their introvertedly inclined activity of sensing. So 
Extroverted feeling is the number one, the dominant function, and introverted sensing is auxiliary. So they're still going to have to do intuitive and thinking activities. Well, since their extroverted feeling is number one, introverted thinking is the very bottom. They hate to do introverted thinking activities. And introverted sensing is number two. So the polar opposite of that is extroverted intuition. That's number three. So again, their functional order is extroverted feeling, introverted sensing, extroverted intuition, introverted thinking. Well, they don't want to do the introverted thinking if they don't have to, but sometimes they're going to have to do it. One of the best ways for an ESFJ to do their introverted thinking inferior function is in the introverted sensing way. So if they have to do something, introverted thinking, engage that other introvertedly inclined activity that is true to their nature, the introverted sensing, and that way they can create something that is more comfortable for them. Well, what would be an example of that? Okay, well, if you're having to do something with thinking activity, something that would give a tangible sensing reward something that would manifest in a very practical way, then they are more inclined and able and willing to use introverted thinking activity functions because it would be in their introverted sensing context and everything that they would be doing that would be a physical activity like construction or cooking they can engage their introverted thinking because they're doing something that they genuinely enjoy that brings them pleasure and satisfaction. They're sensing activities. Okay, well, their intuition, their intuition is tertiary, but it's also extrovertedly inclined. So ESFJs use their extroverted intuition the best possible way when they do it in a feeling context. Okay, so if we have the extroverted intuition, which is thinking about the big picture and really contemplating and appreciating and understanding why things are the way that they are, an ESFJ isn't going to want to do that unless it's for their dominant function of feeling. Yeah, if they can appreciate that thinking about things in that way and on that level is going to facilitate something that they would be doing in a feeling activity, then yeah, not only are they willing to do it for a longer period of time, but they're able to do it in a higher quality way. Okay. So if you have an understanding of your tertiary and in your inferior functions, they're going to be in your dominant and auxiliary functions, social way that can help you and motivate you to be willing to do those activities, to learn how to do those activities and to master those skills in an effective and proactive way. You know, then you'll be able to do those things and you'll be able to appreciate the value of those things, even though they're nothing about your nature. They're in no way your preference. They're very difficult for you to do. And they might even exhaust you when you're done, even when you do them well. That's still going to be something that you're willing to do 
and interested to improve because you have taken these activities and these functions that are contrary to your nature and intertwined them with things that are true to your nature. Okay, well, you know what? Sometimes you can't even do that. Well, what are you supposed to do? You can't do these these thinking activities in a sensing way because the situation won't afford you that luxury. Okay, well, then I say twice removed. You can't do it in the way of the other activity. Well, then you know what? Do it for a higher function reason. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, when you're doing a sensing activity, if that's not your personality, if you're an intuitive and you have to do something sensing, you can do it for a thinking reason or a feeling reason. Okay, you know what? That's going to be tough too. But when you are truly willing to have that, that effort, to put that effort into it, well, then you can do your intuiting, right? If you're a sensor and you don't want to do any kind of intuitive activities, you can do it for a thinking reason or a feeling reason. You can't necessarily do it in a thinking way or a feeling way. You can still say, okay, you know what? I'm doing this activity that I don't want to do because something that I truly believe in will happen as a result of me doing this activity. So that's still not as good as being able to do it in the way of my personality. Well, you know what? I'm doing it for the reason of my personality. That's my value system. That's my belief system. It's very important to be truly vested in what you're doing as you're doing it, even before you're doing it. So I'm going to go ahead and give you just some examples of other personalities and how functionality changes as it goes down the ladder. Okay. So the, the ladder of the different levels. So let's use the example of ISTJ. The dominant function is introverted sensing. ISTJs love to have the freedom to relax, which allows them to focus more intently on their environment when they're alone. Their sensory awareness and personal connection to what's physically going on around them, it's put on hold when people enter their physical world because as an introvert, interacting with people is very challenging for them. So they're very stimulated by the physical world and fulfilled when they are in touch with it in an intense way and on a profound level but that means they need to be alone. Okay. So introverted sensing, that's important for a dominant function. Well, what about introverted sensing when it's auxiliary? Hmm, Well, who does introverted sensing as an auxiliary function? Well, actually let's talk about extroverted sensing. An ISTP would have extroverted sensing, but as an auxiliary function. ISTPs enjoy sensory stimulation and doing everything in life that can be done. These are the times when they're most open to social activities and they enjoy including as many people as possible, even if they don't personally know the people. They naturally feel a greater need to be aware of their environment when there are people in it and they're more personally vested in people when they're being interactive with the people in their world. Okay, they're willing to share their sensory experiences by personally and directly showing people how much fun there is to be had. So you can see it's important to remember the 
are you going to be more stimulated with people or without people? And now let's look at as, as the sensing activity goes down the ladder. Okay, well, we have, let's take a look at introverted sensing as a tertiary function. Introverted sensing, you know what? That's an INTP. Introverted sensing, well, paying attention to their environment is possible for the INTP, but not for an extended period of time without concerted focus and effort. Now, with a direct reminder of the need to do so, INTPs can easily become oblivious to their immediate physical surroundings. When they're alone, the intensity of their introverted thinking actually reduces their ability to see things that are right in front of them and hear things that were personally said directly to them. When social interactions begin to take place, their intuition takes over and insists that sensory details are, you know what, they're, they're pretty unimportant. <laughs> so it's easier for an INTP to be sensory when their thinking function is active and focused on performing this function. Okay, so that's the sensing on a tertiary level. Okay, but you know what? How about inferior, introverted sensing? That would be an ENFP. When ENFPs are alone, they feel an internal pull to withdraw from the physical world and work through their powerful emotions that their stimulating experiences have created for them. So focusing at length on their external physical environment doesn't appear to be beneficial for the people who are nowhere around. It only feels like a waste of time to an ENFP, and it also feels counterproductive. So the ENFP will have to work long and hard to learn how to focus on their tangible surroundings when they're alone. It'll become easier throughout their life because life will reward them for mastering this skill, but mastery will only come with consistent practice. People around the ENFP might struggle to understand why it's hard for them, but patience is very important. Introverted sensing is just something that an ENFP doesn't trust. Now, when you think about what's important for you, remember what's important for others. Understand your strengths as well as theirs. Embrace this synergy you create and others work with you as a feeling is Thanks for listening to the show. I'm your host, Gabrielle Cardona. This is the power of synergy.